God of War sells a lot. And Microsoft's concessions. Part two. Well, hello and welcome back, hopefully, to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, back in his rightful place, is one... Chris Figgs. Mr. Chris Figgs. There you go. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Today, we'll see us talking uh, The Witcher remake, taking the game open world being more of a reimagining, uh, Microsoft's concessions to help move the Activision deal along, <clears throat> excuse me, and God of War Ragnarok's impressive performance uh, being overshadowed by the towering husk of Pokemon. Uh, but for now, let's start this show off the only way that I know how, by checking in on what Chris has been doing and what he's been playing, because as you may remember, Chris was not with us last week. Yes, so I was not. Chris, you have a lot to account for. Oh, God. Regale the people with what you've been doing. Jeez, I've played a lot of games because I'm insane. Um, so the most this week, I've basically been playing Evil West and Evil Genius 2 World Domination. So that's been my week this week. Um, just an evil week, huh? It's just been an evil last week. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. <laughs> Funny guy. But uh, last evil. week... <laughs> This is where I'd have good if I had any. <laughs> um, no, and then last week I played a lot of Oblivion, a lot of 2022's Game of the Year, Vampire Survivor. And I think that was it for last week. I think it was. So so here's the problem, Chris. Yeah. Hi. Is that you said last week you've been playing Oblivion. True. Not true. this week. And that is a, that's what we call a cardinal sin. <laughs> okay. Fair. That's fair. So, I, uh, just uh, to, uh, Chris, I would like to explain to everyone that, and this is very important to get out of the way immediately. It is. I switch sides. You're a traitor. <laughs> yes. This is actually. Which I guess you are too, because this, you. <laughs> this is actually XY, a <laughs> Xbox podcast. <laughs> no, so I, I wouldn't say impulse buy, but uh-huh. I, I think it may be the closest thing to still get the point across. The story you Black told Friday, me that's an impulse buy, dog. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Black Friday, of course, came, and I noticed that they said they'd have Xbox Series X's in stock while we were at Walmart. So I walked by and there goes one sitting on top of a stack behind the cashier. And so I just asked like, hey, is that actually available? Or did somebody already call for dibs with that? And they're like, oh, no, we got multiple. We just have that one up there for people to see. So because Chris has been playing Oblivion. Yes. And I knew that. And he's been playing it using the enhanced backwards compatibility that has the game run at 4K resolution and 60 frames per second. Looking crisp and feeling fluid. Um Chris, you 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 got me to pull the trigger on the Series X finally, but there's a <laughs> lot of things into that decision because you know I have the computer that is yeah. pretty capable, sure. But there's a couple of things. My computer is still really not a 4K machine; it's more of a 1440p machine, which is fine because I have a 1440p monitor. Uh, but I think the other thing is I've really just landed on the fact that I don't really want to play on PC unless there's no other option. I spend my whole day at work on a PC, and I just can't. It's funny, Chris, you sent me that thing earlier of uh, Lex Friedman and Todd Howard, and I actually yeah. did listen to that. It was great for the drive, so thank you. You're welcome. Um, 
Always thinking about you. But one thing that Todd Howard said that I really resonate with, and I was like, you know, I just I need to stop fighting it, is that idea of he's like, he said he he plays games and builds games all day long at a computer. So when he gets home and plays games and stuff, he's very much a plop on the couch. So he's like, he really prefers consoles because of his line of work. And I get that. Like I, when I get home, I don't want to come sit in front of a computer screen yet again mm-hmm. with two, two feet away from a small screen. I want to sit on the couch, leaning back with my feet propped up, controller in hand on a big TV. Yeah. And so to that end, I feel more comfortable playing the upcoming Xbox games that I do want to play on my TV in my game room. So I made the the choice, but I would be lying to myself if I didn't admit that a large chunk of me spent $500 just on the ability to play 4K 60 frames per second Oblivion with a controller. Because as anybody who may have tried, the PC version of Oblivion came out in that weird spot where the 360 controller was supported by Windows, but basically no game supported it. So like mm-hmm. Fable, The Lost Chapters, no controller support. And it was an Xbox game. Like it was made by Xbox. Oblivion was partnered with Xbox and had enjoyed some console exclusivity. No controller support on uh, PC. So I've been having a blast and the game looks fantastic. Uh, but Chris... I got to ask, because at this point, I don't think it is, is something you could even worry about spoiling. How far are you? Like, what's in, in terms of um, what's so the last I thing ju- you can remember doing? I just saved Martin. Um, I brought him back to, to wherever you're supposed to take him, I think. I don't remember where. Wayne on Priory. That's it. Yes. Wayne on Priory. Fuck. <laughs> um, and, then, <laughs> um, and then I did the first quest of the Dark Brotherhood. So I killed Rufio. Oh, nice shit out of that boy. Nice. I knew Dude, the Dark I knew, Brotherhood quest line's great. It is. I knew exactly what I had to do. I was like, uh, when the what is it, Kayat or whatever, Kiat? When when the that whole thing happens, there was one guard all by himself. And I like looked around at a nice little quick save. I'm like, all right, no one's here. Killed that guy. <laughs> and for no reason. And then knew that if I passed out, I would get Lachance standing over my bed. <laughs> Yeah, and it worked. So now I'm doing the Dark Brotherhood. Um, it's a great game. So, if correct me if I'm wrong, but as we've kind of talked about, this is your first true, real foray into Oblivion, right? Like you maybe played it here and there before. I have vague memories of closing <clears throat> Oblivion gates, but that's about it. Okay, it's like so you never beat the game at least. No, prior. I don't think so. Okay, I don't think so. Did you ever do the arena? No. Okay, so I can tell you where I'm at. Um, I've already passed that, <laughs> and I went and I've uh, I've gotten to where I can go meet up with Mankar Cameron and the Mythic Dawn. Um, I don't want to say too much more because this is relatively fresh to you, but in the Imperial City is an arena that you can go to, and you can go become a participant in the arena. And it's it's iconic. It's one of my. It's always been one of my favorite parts of that game. Like when I start that game, I go to as soon as I get the chance. I normally do up to the point where the game tells you to go to the Imperial City because you'll be leveled up enough. But you should absolutely do. Uh, it's impossible for me to look at the game without a, a shitload of nostalgia. Yeah, but I would be really curious to see you who you don't think you've ever done it do it. I feel like you would remember it because it's iconic 
I mean, it really, it's an iconic part of that game. It's great. I'm more than happy to give it a try. That's for sure. I do like it. So um, you need to go back it. to it. I know I'm there's not, a lot going on, but you got to go back. I don't plan to on it. skipping it. It's just it's game of the year time, man. I got to play Evil West, then I got to play Midnight Suns, and then Callisto Protocol is the same day as Midnight Suns. <laughs> Whose decision yeah. that was is nuts. Thanks, well, Glenn. I- I'm with you, right? It's game of the year time, and I'm about to start Signalis because one of the other games I played was Hot Wheels Unleashed, and your boy got the platinum. Uh, Very proud. That game is incredibly fun. Yeah, thank you. You were mm-hmm. a big help in that. Oh, I so, do what I can for you, buddy. Yeah, you do what you can. Uh, Chris is tried and true. He was like, I don't care what's going on. You you tell me, I'll hop on. We're going <laughs> to do this thing uh, to the point last night where I was like, I need to go to bed. And he was like, are you sure? I will stay up. <laughs> <laughs> Not even that. I was playing Apex with my friend, and I ended the session to help you. You did. You <laughs> like, did. We're done. But I logged on to Apex because you didn't respond mm-hmm. to my message for like, I think it was only like 15 minutes. But he had yep. messaged me in between then, so I'm like, sure. And then you hopped out. I'm like, <laughs> well, Sean, I did tell Brett I was going to help him with this, so I'm well, going to hop off. But you, Well, hold on, though. You have played uh, a third th- game this week. I've played plenty of games this week. It's been a very odd week for me. Uh <laughs> I finally played not one, mm. not two, but uh-huh. three games of Apex. Three games of Apex. So with that, I would like to tell everyone that my wedding was wonderful. Brett was my best man. <laughs> <laughs> he got me a She's second a place lady. finish. She is absolutely a lucky lady. I'm going to have to get it annulled now that I've played the games of Apex. But <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, it's a means to an end. <laughs> If you're I'm listening, sure the judge I'm will understand. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we had to not win a single game together. <laughs> and then I'll throw out my my last couple. So God of War Ragnarok, I got the platinum in. I was not too Congrats. far off of uh, whenever me and Joe did the episode. And then I got <clears throat> I'm almost to the first gym in Pokemon Violet. And I've been doing a lot of exploration. And I gotta tell you, that game is a prime example of seeing a game rife with potential but also rife with just problems. And I can understand why people are enjoying it and liking it. But the game's pretty rough. <laughs> so it's it's unfortunate, but it's also um, not too surprising. With Pokemon, so, is that is it ba- so bad that it's uh, impossible to ignore? Because normally it doesn't bother me. I don't... Okay. So far, it hasn't, it hasn't been that overwhelmingly. But I have had two moments... Where the game was so bad that I had to do the restart trick where you like close the game because apparently I'd had it on for too long. Because I've <laughs> sparingly played the game, but it's been in sleep mode, right? So mm-hmm. memory leak happens, uh, apparently. But I told you that I went to Docket to try out, and not that we did a great job of it, but try out co op with my buddy Donovan. And as soon as I docked it, the game went from like 24 six to 30 frames per second pretty consistently to like 20 or less than. And I mean, like it was like watching a stutter. And since the whole game is tied, like the game speed is tied to your frame rate. So if you, if your frame rate's lower, it's not that you're skipping frames. The whole game slows down to match the frame rate, um, which is incredibly weird. So with that in mind, that was one of two examples where it was too bad. And I was like, I have to do something because I can't play this way. And it didn't stop. Like I tried giving it like 30 seconds because I thought I docked it. There's a higher, 
you know, it's it's got a higher resolution, but that didn't change much. That is disappointing to hear. Cause I, I did I did pre order it and I pre ordered it early and then it was coming out and I was watching videos of it and I was like, Oh no, 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 this looks bad. And then um I started playing it and I was like, Oh no, 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 this looks bad. And I <laughs> I haven't played it since. It's crazy to me because I don't know how far you are. Uh, Not did you at least make year. it to the lighthouse? I went in the lighthouse, yeah. Okay, so if you climb to the top of the lighthouse and you're sitting there with Nimona or whatever her name is, and it, you see it kind of sweep across the landscape, and I'm looking, I'm like, damn, it's like it's got like a cool painterly art style, but then it's got absolutely zero shadows in the distance. So there's like no depth to it at all. Mm-hmm. And so it was like I was looking at a work in progress that would that's about to be really cool once the person paints all the the shadows in. <laughs> and I was like, I know that they don't want to render real shadows, but you know, most games render approximation shadows to like give you the sense of shadow so that you keep the depth of the image. Cause without much shadow, an image looks flat. So it looks like I'm looking at a very flattened image of like a huge building, but then a plane in front of it, but it looks just like two feet because <laughs> of it, it's very hard to describe, but the game is fun. It's got a lot of good aspects about it. Uh, I just think that, this is the worst it's been from a performance standpoint. Sword and Shield had a couple of weird little moments, uh, specifically in the wild area or whatever it was called. Um, but none of it was like this. And and Arceus wasn't like this. I told you, Arceus ran great for me. <laughs> yeah. And, and looked better and had better draw distance. I'll tell you one thing to be careful of. I don't know why, but whenever you walk, far enough away for you to stop seeing a Pokemon. Mm-hmm. If you take it's like a one or two more steps and then you turn around and move back into render distance, it's gone. So oh, they no. refresh every time that you're close enough. And that's only like eight foot in front of your character. That's, that's so crazy. That's it's really pretty bad. Rough. I, <laughs> so if you, if you see a shiny and then you happen to accidentally, like you notice it as you're walking away and you're like, ah, then you turn around, it could be gone. That's awful. Okay. I hope so they it's weird, it. but I am enjoying it. Uh, but the other one was, uh, I, if I didn't say it, it was Metal Hellsinger. Uh, I bought it and just wanted to try it out. And it has the problem that Guitar Hero faced when it was moving to the HD era, where I cannot land on a comfortable feeling of the game being um, calibrated. Like, no matter what I do, I feel like I'm on beat to what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. But it's not the game says I'm not on beat, and that's like that game is a rhythm game tied to a shooter, so you get more damage if you're shooting on the rhythm. And it's pretty cool because you have to build, so as you build the multiplier, more instruments come in. And like once you get to a 16 times multiplier, vocals come into the songs, so like you can technically bullshit and beat the level without staying on beat and getting a multiplier, but you're gonna like not hear the majority of the song, so. Yeah. I don't know. I, mean, I was having a, a rough time. I didn't like. I died a few times because I was like, maybe I, maybe I'm just doing something wrong. But every time that I was doing it on beat, it fell off beat to me. So I was like, if something's going on. I got to turn my TV in low latency mode when I'm playing that game. Maybe wire my controller. Something I got to do. But it's cool. Yeah, it does seem cool. I'm gonna give it more of a <clears> shot. <throat> but yeah, gotta get that Hot Wheels Unleashed plat, plat first. You know? No. Um, <laughs> I am more likely to get the 1,000 in Vampire Survivors. I'll tell you that much. Nice. 
Vampire Survivor I'm glad you're still is an that game. excellent game. Oh, God, yeah. I don't want to be talking to you. I want to play the Vampire Survivors. Oh, go, Chris. I mean... Community's sake, hurry up. <laughs> do what you gotta do. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, Chris, I hope that you can get Oblivion under your belt so we can find out what your definitive favorite Bethesda game is. Fallout 3. I'm sure, but I'm also just curious. Yeah, Fallout 3. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, so the community's take this week uh, was a very simple one, of course, uh, and it was with the idea of Thanksgiving being in in, uh, last week. Uh, So with Thanksgiving in mind, having just passed, at least in the United States, uh, what are five games you are thankful for this year? So it doesn't matter if they release this year, um, if you think they deserve awards or anything more simple than they, they... exist and you're thankful for it uh, i did intend to make this be games you played this year but a lot of people ended up including a few games that they didn't play this year they're just thankful for which i don't mind a lot of great answers but we did lo- skin this down to just one from each area so if you want to be part of the community's take in the future uh you can head over to our social media and find us on twitter at triangle sqrd you can find us in facebook at a group like one new listener did justin uh, goodrum or at least a new member and uh asked to be entered in there we'll gladly let you in then lastly we always have our discord which is where you can most easily find us linked in the description below whether you're watching on video uh uh, or listening on podcast services. For those of you who are watching on video, I hope that you noticed and appreciated the visual sprucing up that I uh, chose to do last minute last week. I think it looks significantly better, and I hope that it makes a better viewing experience for you guys. Um, so lastly, one thing that our patrons who went over to patreon.com slash nartech and gave as little as a dollar per month enjoy is typically... Um, preferred reading. So if we get an answer from them we like, we'll go ahead and push them in front as a thank you uh, for supporting the show. And one of the people who did do that, Mr. Jehudi MD, longtime listener, longtime patron, he says, for Hades and Returnal, for showing how a roguelike game should be made, for Control, for showing me that games can be grand and fun without having a sensible story, for God of War Ragnarok, for reminding me how PS First Party Studios are among the best in the industry, and non-game related, Halo lore for showing how games can get their lore expanded in such ways that are interconnected, expansive, and rich through physical media. Uh, And I think he's meaning like all the extended stuff, books, um, shows. I actually haven't watched the show, but there's a lot of books and stuff for that. So uh, I like that answer, and I like your reasoning for each one, but I want to take a couple of these things to task for our own preferences. So as longtime listeners probably know, I adored Hades. And Chris, I think you loved Hades as well, right? Mm -hmm. I did. Okay. Almost have the platinum. But a game that Chris and I both just did not click with, me to a larger extent, or at least my enjoyment of it was bigger than Chris's, I feel like. Returnal is an interesting show here because I feel like as much as I think Returnal is a cool game, I think it's a, a prime example of bad roguelike design <laughs> because yeah. I don't think it's quick enough for your iteration to be enjoyable for that. I mentioned that a, a few times. So, Chris, what is it that you specifically love about roguelikes and how would you say a roguelike game should be made while we're kind of looking at the spirit of this answer? Um, I think with Returnal it was too hard and too long. 
Because I think if you're doing a roguelike, That's what you she can. Said? <laughs> not to you. Ooh, turned it around. <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, I Damn. think if you're looking at Returnal, I think what Returnal does is show you the upper limits of how difficult a game can be and a roguelite. Because I think if a game is easy, like if you had an easy roguelite and you were like, okay, this game takes 20 hours. And if you die, you have to start over, but the game is super easy. Fine. You can't do that if the game is hard. <laughs> and I think Returnal is hard and too long, which is the problem. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't know if I agree with I, I think the issue is just the iterative process of roguelikes is that you learn with each run, but each run is quick succession. So like if you fuck up twenty minutes into a run of Hades, you kind of learn what they like, oh, I went too aggressive or I wasn't defensive enough or whatever it be. You learn how to work around that for your next run, but you're into your next run basically immediately. And you're also <clears throat> excuse me. The run itself, even a perfect run for Hades is like an hour. And I think we talked about this a little bit last week, so I don't want to overly tread, but uh, I think Returnal is such an interesting and potentially divisive game for roguelikes. But I mean, it clearly got a lot of love and I'm glad it did. I think it's a well-made game um, in terms of it feels great to control. The challenge is fun and welcoming. But for me personally playing two hours of a run and then dying and then be like, if I want to play any more today, I have to keep playing. Like I can't stop and play another game. If I'm in the middle of a good run, I, I, if I, like, you know, my favorite thing about roguelikes is that they mess up your sense of time. And suddenly what you thought was like 45 minutes of a roguelike, you look and you're like, Oh, I've been playing for like four hours. And I think Returnal is the exact opposite of that for me, where it's like, oh, God, I've been playing for two and a half hours on a single run. And I don't know. It just, it's such an odd uh, game, but it got a lot of love for um, Housemark. And I'm curious to see if their next game will also be a roguelite or what, you know? Because, like, Chris, a good example, I bought Ship of Fools. We haven't played it yet, and that's a crime we need to. Uh, I think you're muted. But we do need to. Sorry, I'm sick, so do. I'm trying not to cough into the mic, etc. I understand, Chris. It's oh, okay. It's more for the audience to understand that. that we're here happen. for you. We're That's so nice. You. That's so nice. Yeah. Can you so send we, me Gatorade, we, but, please? <laughs> you know what? I can send you that I keep. I, I saw them this morning. I was like, I need to send those, but I was driving a bunch today. So a Gatorade? Pretzels. Oh, pretzels. They've just been sitting there for you. I've not dug into them. I've wanted to. <laughs> But I, I cho- I've shown restraint, okay? That's really good. <clears throat> Chris, this Thank is going to be the hardest thing I ever have to do. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. That's that's a I big confession out of you, man. I know, I'll tell you. Um, a secondary question that's kind of within this that I don't think you've talked about much on the show, but I know that you've definitely made a few remarks a little bit. Um, all year... You have been all about Sony's first-party games before they come out. Then they come out, and you either barely play them and then fall off, or you never start playing them to begin with. Okay. So the most recent example of that being God of War Ragnarok. Oh, God. Yeah. That's true. So my question to you is, what do you think is going on here? Do you think it's you falling out of love with the Sony style of game? Do you think it's burnout from other games being similar? Or do you just think that there's other games that are 
pulling and holding your interest enough or just some other completely different reason like what's going on here because it's been weird seeing you be like you have to buy the last of us part one and then you don't play it at all and then you'd be like yo you, you are you getting this and then i get it and you're like yeah well never mind i'm just not gonna play it <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry um no, I mean, I mean, it's fine. I'm going to play them anyway, so I'm yeah. no skin off my back. To be fair, if you'd said no to The Last of Us in that moment, I would have bought it, which is what makes it funnier, is that I would have bought it <laughs> and never played it. <laughs> like about, what do you think, 70% of your library? Or do you think 90. it's higher? Solid 90. Because oh. you're forgetting about the 400 PS2 and PS3 games I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean... I think the the this is going to be a controversial take. People are going to be mad at me, but Sony games have maxed out at like an eight, and they get tens across the board almost every time. And I never understand. Like if Horizon had gotten a seven, I probably would like that game. But I went into it expecting a ten, and I got a four, and I was like, "This sucks. <laughs> like this is just not fun." And yeah. that was what it was. Now, for to, me. to be fair with that, like you also weren't a fan of Horizon to begin with. So I don't really think there was well, much of a reason for sure, you to be that excited. Sure, but I beat the first for, one. I true. beat it. And you couldn't even bring yourself to do that here. That's important. Yeah, yeah it's an important distinction. But that's Which the same I also with think God it's of important War. to give you credit, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And even give myself credit because I, I think God of War Ragnarok is a great game, but people have been acting as if. You can't, the, apparently you're being negative if you have any critique of the game. And I don't really think that's a fair standpoint. I think you should be able to say how you feel about a game and it doesn't have to be everything. The good with the bad, God of War Ragnarok is a fantastic game. And I'm yeah. glad I've played it. Doesn't mean that there's not things I would have changed or things I wish were different. And the same is true of, of Horizon Forbidden West, to be fair. Um, ironically, I think the only game I didn't have issue with because... It was a known quantity outside of the price. And Ratchet. even then, I mean, oh, no, but for this year was uh, specifically uh, The Last of Us, ironically. Oh, yeah. It's the game where I knew what I was getting into. So I don't have any new qualms with it other than that it was $70 when I don't think it really needed to be. But, you know, we've treaded that argument as much as we can. So I support your ability to say these things. But at the same time, we both know that in saying these things, you welcome some sense of uh, fury. That's the thing. If people <laughs> want to, if, if people want to be mad at me and say like, "Oh, you're a bad PlayStation gamer for not liking these games," that's fine. That's cool. I yeah. got more platinums than you. Like, suck my dick. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, because the the reality is like. Her, I'm sure all of these games are good. Like, there's no part of me that's sitting here like, oh, these games are bad for everyone. But like, I, yeah. I, I played Horizon and didn't want to play it anymore immediately. You know, that's true. And like with God of War, I want to play God of War, and but and we've had this conversation. I hate. Oh, I probably shouldn't have even said that. Yep. Nope. Twenty six <laughs> or twenty seven. I gotta cut that for sure continue well how, how am i supposed to continue that's my whole critique of the game <laughs> just be more vague about it i hate i, I don't know what the, i don't i don't know i hate that the game is called i'm trying to figure it out let me see um 
Sony Santa Monica have decided to make certain gameplay changes that affect the flow of the narrative and the story, which really pissed me off and have continued to make me not want to turn the game on again and experience the change in flow and narrative of the story. It makes me not want to play the game that I bought because the game that I bought is not what I'm playing and it pisses me off and I don't want to do it. Was that vague enough? That is vague enough, but I also think it's very important for you to be honest with yourself and with the audience that a secondary element is that you're spending far longer on every aspect of the game because you're playing on Give Me God of War. Oh, I should turn it down. The game is already difficult. But I don't (laughs) I played on on Give Me uh, No Mercy uh, up until the final fight that I needed for the trophy because I was just kind of like, I'm, I don't care anymore. I'm, I'm ready to be done with the game and have the platinum. And it was hard. So I dropped it down to, you know, give me balance and, and beat the final person yeah. uh, that I needed for the trophy. I um, could turn it down. And I've had that thought. But again, it's not... All I'm saying is that, that that's that's exacerbating issues you already have with the game. But because I don't, not only you can't even move through them quickly, some of the issues you're having with the game, you're being you're lingering on them for longer, and that's making your hate for them, I think, grow longer as well, grow larger as well. Maybe. But the second that Sony Santa Monica decided to change the narrative and dynamic of the game <laughs> from that. what I bought to what I have to do now. I do not want to continue. Even more ironic that you didn't anticipate that. I did. And I didn't want it to happen. (laughs) 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 That was my thing. Like people were like, oh, this is going to happen in the end. This is going to happen in the end. And I'm like, if that happens, I'm not playing these games anymore. (laughs) I didn't. There's, a, there's buy, a very large question to have around God of War, uh, uh, with God of War being a catalyst for conversation, around what aspects of an IP are most important to people, and how hard of a tightrope is it to balance that expectation, you know what I mean, between disparate groups of fans. Because I'm sure there's people that uh, probably loved the change. There's people who are probably like, I expected it, and it's not it's not taking up a significant enough portion of the game that it's okay. And then there's probably people like you that are just like, this is holy, I don't like this. It's but unbearable. They push it. it is genuinely unbearable. Yeah, and I, I mean, and just to throw it out there, for anybody who probably can guess what it is if you've played the game, I don't agree. I don't think it's like the best thing, but I think it's... I think it's fine. And I also, I, I came into the game anticipating it, so it really wasn't a surprise at all. I anticipated the last hour of the game being that. If you can pick up all the pieces I'm putting down saying that, <laughs> that's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah, and but to, to not I would run have the been risk mad. <laughs> spoiling the game anymore, I think we should probably move off of that particular Here, example. But it yeah. still goes to the fact that this year has been a very odd one for you in terms of, PlayStation exclusives and your enjoyment of them. Yeah, I mean, I want to like these games. It's just at a certain point, other games pick up my interest, and that's what I'd rather play. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Evil, I think Evil West is 10 times more fun than God of War in the yeah, situation I'm in. <laughs> and then there's a conversation about like Evil West is not worried about narrative to the same degree as God of War. And what value is there when a game is just purely more fun versus. Right better storytelling or 
better presentation or all these different facets that people find. And like I had mentioned, I think Sonic Frontiers put me in a really weird mental state for what I was wanting from games at that time, not specifically mm-hmm. God of War or any other game, but two games that I played right before God of War was Hot Wheels Unleashed, pure gameplay. That is a game that has no story. I mean, it technically does, but it's it's literally just an excuse to put levels together on a map. <laughs> and then uh, you have Sonic Frontiers, which has a story, but the story is the the, the story is just to, to support and facilitate cool gameplay moments. Whereas I feel like God of War is the other side of that. And so living in that, I think I came into God of War being like, this isn't as gameplay fun as often as those two games were, and this is messing with me, and I had to kind of overcome that. And once me, I did, it was fine. L- let me just put it this way to you, right? If one day you were you've been driving all day, you're like, oh man, I really, really want a fat, juicy steak. This is what I want. I'm craving it. You've been looking forward to this game, to this steak for three years. years, three, four years, right? You bought your plate specifically to put this steak on it when the steak is done, right? <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> and then the game, the, the steak finishes cooking, right? And you're about a third of the way through the steak and it's fucking tofu in the middle. <laughs> That's how I feel about God of War. Okay. <laughs> that is the biggest problem with God of War because it's like, and it's weird because I know that after I get through this vile tofu, I'm going to end up with that thick, juicy steak again. But I also know that there's not going to be enough steak before I have to suffer through the tofu. And I, that's that's what's been having me put it down. Even if I put it on the lowest difficulty and just shot my way through that section of the story, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, man. I'm still you, eating goddamn tofu. You know, there's something that's really interesting in, in talking about Sony first-party games like this that has been weird. Like, so Uncharted popularized... Um, the, the handhold climbing, right? Where you sure. have handholds that are painted some way or visually indicated that they can be climbed on and you spend large chunks of, uh, you know, several minute chunks climbing sometimes, uh, if not at least long enough chunks to be noticeable. Um, and I feel like they pretty much graduated past that on the same console generation that they started Mm -hmm. that. Because by the time they got to The Last of Us, The Last of Us didn't really do that. Now, of course, they revisited it with Uncharted because it's a little bit more of Uncharted's DNA. But ironically, The Last of Us Part 2 comes along and The Last of Us Part 2 finds how to be vertical completely separate from handholds, which is how Uncharted found out how to be vertical, you know? And what I think is really interesting about that is all these other Sony games have been playing catch-up to that. Right, like Horizon was like, well, now we're going to have symbols on this thing, and we're going to have you climb and do all this stuff. And then God of War is like, we're going to do the same. And I think it's interesting because there's times in God of War where I'm like, you already had your your series in the past has already had ways to make climbing more interesting and fun. And I think honestly, they're more interesting and fun than what they put into this game. Used to 
Of course, it didn't look as good. But used to, I love that Kratos would like stab the blades into the wall and then like climb on the blades and then he mm-hmm. would pull them out and then they would, to not make the climb boring to give you verticality, they would put puzzles around that sometimes, uh, do Prince of Persia style stuff with it. But then they would also do this thing where it's like, okay, we're going to put enemies, we're going to make the we're going to put challenge into the climbing. Whereas now they're like, well, we're going to put story into the climbing or we're going to try and at least get you to a more vertical place to tell you a certain aspect of the story with climbing. And I, the entire game, I kept being like, come on, throw enemies at me while I'm climbing. Cause that's what God mm-hmm. of war used to do. But instead uncharted pioneered, made the way graduated from it for the most part. Barely dip its toe back into it on PS4, and here we are in the PS5, and games are still playing like, oh yeah, Uncharted really revolutionized this 16 years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I find that so crazy that well, we're living in that world. And I also hate the way it looks. Why mm-hmm. in the hell would in any game? Would, like, okay, Horizon did a great job because it's all based on the focus. The focus is telling you like, this is an optimal, uh, optimal path to climb. So in the world, it makes sense. I hate that in God of War, there's just like little painted symbols of what you can and can't climb on. And I try to like write my own reason like, oh, Faye knew you were going to be doing this because of prophecy. So she went and painted every handhold you would ever come near (laughs) to tell you the exact way to go. But that's just that's me having to find some bullshit way to justify something that is just game studios refusing to let aspects that were popularized 16 years ago go when most games have moved away from it. Like Assassin's Creed doesn't have that problem because it doesn't use handholds. It uses free flow parkour. Mm -hmm. And that works a lot better because it feels like, okay, it's fun. Like infamous doesn't use handholds. It uses like, you're going to climb on shit and you're just going to find, you're going to jump. And it's funny to me that climbing is so boring in modern games. When the, by the end of the PS3 era, I feel like most things figured out how to make climbing fun. Like it was like, well, just because we're going to have you climb doesn't mean we're going to break gameplay. We're going to either find fun and interesting ways for you to climb. And like, dude, second son having it's where with your firepowers, you could like go in at the bottom of the building and then shoot up through a smoke pipe at the top. That was cool. fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. How do you not take that lesson and then use those lessons elsewhere? Because I think, um, let me see if this resonates with people you. People are going to hate that. We're, people are going to like, y'all are ripping on Sony. I'm oh, really not. Get but ready I'm for ripping this, on the game industry's inability to let things go what i'm about to say is very much an xbox fanboy (laughs) talking point right but i don't think sony makes games anymore i think they make movies with gameplay and that's fine because the gameplay is most of the time very good but if you look at games i love right and let's use a sony exclusive right i think days gone is one of the best games to come out of sony in the last 10 years sure that is a game god of war is a story interrupted by gameplay that's what it is the gameplay is immaculate but it's a it's a story that is interrupted by gameplay well you know it's it's funny it's, how much depends more on like the degrees games, yeah of course but it's funny how much more they like god of war one of the things i noted is that doing side content that didn't have like all the interruptions from a normal story where they're trying to control pacing in certain aspects of the uh, the main storyline. The side content, even that had story, felt more like a game. Like, 
it was interesting and kind of more fun. Like it made me like the game more to continue playing it and get the platinum because it felt like I was playing a game more so than the the main thing did. And I'm not right. saying that has to be bad, but I think it spoke to what I went into God of War looking for, which was more gameplay focused. And I feel like God of War used to be that. And I don't begrudge them for doing Ragnarok this way because it's what they set the tone with in 2018. Um, it's just, I don't know. This game does, and I mean, yeah, you're right across all of them, but looking at God of War, it specifically does a lot of things to reference its history and its past. And I feel like mm-hmm. they did a lot of things to get closer to like, here's some elements that you that you kind of expect that are familiar, but different for this world. And I felt like that's why I was like, why am I climbing then without something to attack? Like you've, you've solved this problem and then you took a step back to try and be more like another game. Yeah. I don't know. I think Whether Sony that was has intentional or not. Kind of just know, started to homogenize their games. I just feel like they all play the same. And this is not like a super hot take. Like people know that they're the home of the over the shoulder third person camera dad and son simulator game. That's <laughs> fine. It, <laughs> you know what's more that. funny, Chris? That uh, was completely accidental. I just hit really? the one on my mouse. <laughs> I, I gotta le- I gotta pull the audio track in now. Because people yeah. have got to be able to hear that. Go ahead. 100%. No, I just think that the games are kind of all blending in. All the mechanics are, are the same. You know, every woman married to a Sony protagonist loves them because they have the strongest fingers in the world. Like, it, it all just all feels the same, you know? All of them can hold the edges of rocks for hours on end <laughs> with just their fingertips. And it's like, yeah, all right. I understand what's going on here, but there's nothing different, you know, even returnal, which is something different. That's just a whole other bag of worms. Um, I, I don't want to say all Sony games. I think that that's clearly getting to a weird thing. Cause I mean, I think, I think Spider-Man mostly avoids that problem. Definitely. I thought Miles Morales mostly avoided that yeah, problem. Spider-Man. And I think that was very, I think that was very evident by the fact that like when you could skip cutscenes in Miles Morales, when you were doing new game plus like me and yeah. you did for the platinum four hours. Uh, yeah. And I mean, you could say what you want to, but I'd, I'd rather have four hours of really fun gameplay and cool story moments that are better mm-hmm. paced, uh, than have a 30 hour game with a whole lot of odd pacing choices. Right. Um, I, I just, so in that in that sense, I mean, I thought Ratchet and Clank was a really tight, you know, 12, 15 hour experience as well. I, I want it, it used its time well. You <clears> should <throat> play uh, Rift Apart. Ratchet's Ratchet's one I do genuinely want to play. I don't know. I just think that there's something to be said that the Sony games that I've played and enjoyed were at their best when you could skip all the cutscenes and get through just the gameplay. Well, Chris, like, can I say something? Yeah, you can. You definitely can say something. I wish that we wouldn't have had this conversation here because I feel like it's going so against the spirit of the community's tech question, which is to be thankful for games. I'm really thankful for Fallout 3 and Persona 5. Uh, I'm glad. I was going to ask you what your five thankful games were for this year. Uh, but you know what? We'll come back around to that conversation, hopefully. But I do want to get through the rest of the community's take so that we're not taking it up <laughs> with that large conversation. Because I do think that there's a conversation to be had there. And I think there's going to be some people that are upset that we're criticizing. But I think it's important to know that you can love something and criticize it because you want it to be that much better. And that's all it is. So uh, with that in mind, though, uh, we got one from the Skinny Rage over on Twitter. He says, I'm thankful for Ace Combat coming back in a big way, too. Also for Mudrunner and Snowrunner, which are two 
essentially, I, I struggled. There's simulation games in many ways where you're going through and pulling freight and stuff through snow and mud. Uh, they're very interesting games. Uh, he says, games I don't think would exist without PS4 going to x86 architecture. In fact, there's a few games ported that probably wouldn't have been. Heavenly Bodies, Helleborn, Car X or some. And I think that's pretty cool because he's specifically kind of looking at the fact that some people talk about how bespoke architecture led to really interesting games like PS3 Day. Uh, but looking at the benefits of going to x86 and being able to easily port games from PC and whatnot over is uh, there's a lot of benefits to it. And I think he's right. Some of these games would have never made it to the console market if it was as difficult to port them as it once was. Um, so it's kind of like uh, Chris, you're playing vampire survivor, a game that I am curious if it, if it would have actually hit consoles had it not been for how easy it is to port as well as, Microsoft's initiative for having games released on both. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, but I certainly hope it comes to PlayStation so everyone listening can play it. Yeah, there you go. And the last one comes from, like I mentioned, a new member in our Facebook, Justin Goodrum. He says, I can fill all five with one answer, the Uncharted series. They're my comfort games. Whenever there's a dead period in games or just down on life, I marathon them all as a pick-me-up, usually once a year, but twice this year. And, you know, for all the stuff we just said, I think uh, I was talking about how every game tried copying that handholds thing. Uncharted is the one that did it best. Because <laughs> I feel like Uncharted's pacing between action moments and climbing moments helped. One thing I thought was really interesting is that Ragnarok completely ditches the element of surprise that the Uncharted games have where as you're climbing, you're on the edge of your seat. Like, is this handhold going to stay or is it going to fall? And I'm going to have to quickly grab something else. God of War is like Kratos is a God. He's got perfect hands. Nothing will ever break <laughs> under him. So it's like, you're just climbing and there's never that sense of um, danger on the edge of like, Oh, this, this handhold might fall. But to my joke, Kratos is a God. So what would really be like, is there that much of a risk in him falling to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> True. It's more Atreus on his back. Fair enough. Okay, um, can I ask one question about God of War? Sure. Does Kratos fart? I wonder. Right? Can I ask a question about God of War? Yeah. Does Kratos smell like ass? Yeah. So ne- this man has never bathed as far as I'm concerned, at least not since the original three games. He used to bathe with hot women. And he bathes in the banging. blood of his enemies. <laughs> That's true. But blood stinks. <laughs> I just, I play that maybe, game sometimes. Maybe God blood smells better. And I fear for Mimir. I'm like, dog, <laughs> you are getting crop dusted for hours on end. Like, you know, Kratos might be and conscious you know of it, like when they're walking around. Heavy diet. Oh, thousand percent. That dude is eating nothing but red meat. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, Mimir yeah. must not be able to smell. Yeah, you'd hope. You gotta hope. Because you gotta think like even if Kratos, which I don't even know if he seems like a nice enough guy to be conscious of it, right? When he's fighting, you know that dude is just letting it out. Because he can't <laughs> He can't be thinking about it all the time, right? If a Draugr's coming and he's got to choose between swinging the Leviathan Axe and farting and holding in a fart, he's probably going to swing the Leviathan Axe. 
So I you mean, know Mamir catches some of that. You've been there in life, right? You've been in a situation where a fart was coming at an inopportune time and like, I guess the fart's coming because I got to do something else. Yeah, 100%. Unfortunate, but you know, that's life. Sometimes you just got to fight. Wicked fight. (laughs) Either way, um, I love Uncharted. Really impressed that you can play those games twice a year. Oh, dude, twice a year is pretty crazy, but I do like playing those games. Once a year is probably, I don't know, all of them once a year. I could probably do like a a few of them. But here's the other side of the Uncharted thing is Uncharted knows just to be like a 12 to 15 hour game. I I think that some of these issues are compounded on not Sony's insistence, but developers' insistence that games have to be 30 plus hours now. And it's like every issue that is like... either not noticeable or even not an issue at 12 to 15 hours can quickly become one at double that time. Um, it's, it's a real tightrope uh, to walk as a development standpoint. But that also goes back to what I was talking about with iteration, right? These games aren't iterating quick enough, so I feel like these we're seeing vestigial aspects of some mechanics because they always wanted to try out those mechanics and use them, but now it's taking six years to make a game. So it's like, instead of what you you used to see of like, oh, well, Uncharted had these handholds for climbing and that was pretty cool. And a lot of games are doing it now, so we're going to do it. But that should have been all out of your system by like 2016 to 2018 mm-hmm. at most. You know what I mean? Like, Let's do. Let's move on. Let's do something else. Like I can, I can, I don't begrudge elevators because I understand that an elevator in real life is limited to the time it takes for the elevator to raise and lower. Uh huh. So I don't mind standing on an elevator and just sitting there waiting for something to happen because it fits. But being like, well, you got to climb this wall, and there's one wall in particular that I was like, God. <laughs> <laughs> it at least ends in a cool moment. But um, yeah, let's see. Moving on. Uh, into the news because uh, I think we wrapped that one up. Justin, well, Brett, thanks did, for reaching out, man. I appreciate you. Did you give your five? Oh, I didn't. So what are your five? Finish finish your five. Uh, Fallout 3 for being a transformative game in my life. Turned me into a man. Um, Persona 5 for being a transformative mm-hmm. game in my life. Turned me into a weeb. Um <laughs> <laughs> So you're you're just going across the board, right? I'm going to stick it to games I played this year. I don't know if you may have played both these this year. I'm not saying you haven't. I'm I have saying played for me, both I'm these this gonna, year. But all right, if yeah. I'm doing games I'm thankful for this year, uh, Vampire Survivor. Thanks for being better than God of War and winning Game of the Year 2022. Um, Bold. It's a fact. Modern Warfare 2 for being fun again, making COD fun again. Let's see. I need one more. Um, Pokemon Violet because that game's embarrassing and thanks for embarrassing yourself in front of everyone Nintendo it's nice to see you can do some wrong so you're thankful for Nintendo failing yeah That's hopefully this will make them no uh, they failed no, upwards no, no, no. hold up they failed upwards <laughs> I'm hopeful that as the news that, will reveal I'm hopeful that the performance of that game will make them realize that they should probably invest in a console that runs them Spoiler alert. It will not. <laughs> I love the picture I sent you guys with Samuel Jackson and Filthy Frank. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. It's so it ridiculous is. that that game failed forwards. hundred <laughs> like, percent. Nintendo can do uh, no wrong. But at it's the, the power time. of it's the power of IP. 
hundred percent. It's just because it's Pokemon. So That's we'll, why I bought it. We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, so my five for this year are Conan Exiles uh, for showing me that the forest was not a one-off example of me being really into survival games uh, and that I probably need to stick my toe into more survival games. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I'm thankful for Oblivion because playing it again, it just makes me realize how on the ball Bethesda once were in terms of speed and quality while also being quirky and not necessarily player friendly. And there's a real weird conversation to have around that because like Todd Howard mentioned something that makes a lot of sense about the way they look at making it to where they have a classless system with Skyrim is that he wanted to stop people from recreating characters just to have because they choose a class realize they don't like that gameplay and then they have to restart make a new character in a different class and he wanted to stop that and instead have it where you can change those things we can use two-handed swords and be like i don't really like this so instead i'm just going to pick up learning archery tomorrow and i like this example of that's how like i'll start tomorrow he's like that's how life is like you know you can if you just don't like something you can put it down and you can be like, I want to start archery tomorrow and see if I can get better. So I like that. But at the same time, in in most ways of real life, you're not going to be able. Like he's saying, like, you can put one down and pick another up. Mm-hmm. But the problem I have with Skyrim is that you don't have to put any of them down. You can just be excellent at all of them, which is a little weird. But Oblivion is so obtuse and weird and having to sleep to level up and having to choose a class and having to select only a few things to level up per um, per level is amazing. Honestly, for as much as I gave guff to uh, the Breath of the Wild for breaking weapons, I don't mind breaking weapons at all in Oblivion. I think that it's a pretty interesting mechanic that forces you to be on your toes, which I know is exactly what people say about this Breath of the Wild. <laughs> Look at this guy so. making that up. That's insane, dude. That's insane. That's the same hey. thing. That happens in Breath of the Wild. That's what I just said. <laughs> I know that. It's just mind-boggling. They're like, oh, it's great here. It's great. So anyway, Oblivion, uh, Oblivion, Conan, Infamous 2 for reminding me that Sucker Punch have been at the top of their craft for a long time. Uh, just because they, they slightly missed with Second Son doesn't mean they still don't kill it. They're Second so Son good. still plays like great. Oh, Second Son plays better than any of the Infamous games. Mm-hmm. It's just the story and everything. Nothing else, else is, is better is than the Infamous games. Not as good. Uh, yeah, the morality system is the worst, and it's got the worst moral choices. Uh, but Killzone Mercenary for reminding me that the Vita was such a great console with great games and that Killzone was a great series. And then last, Sonic Frontiers. For reminding me that I can love Sonic truly and not feel like a phony. Because there's times where I'd be like, I like Sonic. I'm a Sonic fan. People are like, well, okay, did you like Sonic Forces? I didn't think it looked interesting enough to play. Well, did you like Sonic Unleashed? It's okay, kind of stupid, but it's got a banger soundtrack. Or did you like Sonic Generations? Yeah, it's the one I did. That's the one I did like. It just It's one of those things where... Have you ever had a series be so consistently out of your preference of liking that even though you're a fan, you're like, I think I may dislike more games than I like in that series? Yes. 
That's how I felt about Sonic. So Frontiers <laughs> coming and, and being great and me falling in love with it was like, hell yeah, I am a Sonic fan. It just turns out that Sonic fans tend to not like Sonic games. I'm glad you were guided by the light. I was. I was, Chris. But you know what? It's time to move into the news now. The news. The news. Uh, so first thing up on the list, it appears that December's PS Plus games have leaked. Uh, as usual, the leak comes from D-Labs uh, and lists Mass Effect Legendary Edition, Biomutant, and Divine Knockout. They will be available from December 6th, 2022 to January 3rd, 2023. And if you didn't pick that up, this is PS Plus Essential Games. So all tiers get these. These are the normal monthly games. We have yet to learn what the PS Plus Extra games that will be added to the uh, game library service will end up being. But we'll see. Um, Chris, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, clearly a game that you would recommend? 100%. I got the Platinum in all three Mass Effect games. Biomutant, a game I would clearly recommend. I got the platinum in that. Uh, very odd and quirky, but super fun in just a very odd way. I haven't heard of Divine Knockout. Neither have I. I've never seen it. I'm so look it up. The jury's out on that for now. <laughs> uh, next thing up, though, because I know Chris doesn't have anything much to say about that. Uh, somebody, please kill me. It appears <laughs> that Microsoft is likely to offer concessions soon to help push the Activision deal through the EU. Uh, it's unknown what the Windows Maker plans to offer, but it seems from some of the things they've mentioned that a 10-year licensing deal with Sony is the main course of action to help push this through. Though, if that is what's going on, they've also voiced that Sony is apparently not interested in the 10-year deal. But I think what's interesting is, does Sony have to agree? Or does the CMA have to agree that it's a big enough concession CMA, to let it go through? Yeah, that's what I would imagine. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, you know, a lot of very interesting things came out of this. Some of it was was Microsoft reiterating what we've heard them say before, but just to a you know to new prying eyes of saying that their games are not as good as PlayStation's. Um. Which, you know, it's a loaded question because why a game is good or not is a very personal thing. Mm. Like, it's it's hard to look and say that Halo Infinite is objectively worse in every conceivable way than God of War Ragnarok. I don't know that I can say that. I can say that I thought God of War Ragnarok was better than Halo Infinite. Uh, but... Yeah, I think it's interesting either way to hear uh, Microsoft. Once again, I don't know if you guys remember uh, that there was a point in time where they had an internal document talking about uh, The Last of Us 2 and reviewing it to say, like, you know, to try and learn how to help them make games to that degree. Uh, Things that they thought it did very well that they don't necessarily do well. Um, Another thing that came out of that was Microsoft saying that Game Pass did not have market appeal. Hold on, what was the exact wording? It was very weird. Microsoft say Game Pass. I, I want I have to find yeah, Game Pass does not have any market power. I don't even know if I know what that means. So they're saying it doesn't have market power today. 
Mm-hmm. So adding to it would not be an issue because it's not like you're taking something that already has market power and then adding to it. You're taking something and adding to it to give it market power. Is that what's going on? It's an odd argument. And I feel like this is just a back and forth of Sony and Microsoft saying things that are foolish out of just an attempt to get both of these things to happen the way they want mm-hmm. it to happen. So like Sony is willing to basically clown themselves and say like Microsoft's just trying to make us Nintendo and because they just don't <laughs> want to go through. And then Microsoft can be like, our games suck. <laughs> I know that's not really what's happening, but I think it's really an interesting choice to not be like, off. it's like self degradation. <laughs> yeah. They've got Here's a CMA. They've got that kink. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I think it's interesting because if you were to, I know you're not a sports person, but if you were to do this with baseball, right, it would be like one of the teams trying to go after a free agent and being like, you know, our guy sucks. Our guy is awful. And then them signing (laughs) that free agent and then going to the other guy and being like, hey, we want to give you an extension. He's like, well, you said I suck. Like, why would I want to play for you? Like, that's how this feels. It feels like you mentioned it before the show, but, um, Sony's putting them in themselves in the position where I wouldn't be surprised, and it would be the funniest outcome of this whole thing if if Activision and Bobby Kotick were like, "Fuck you," and just made Call of Duty exclusive on their own. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they'd ever do that, but I they do think. But that it, Sony, I, one, one thing I think is true is that, or that they could probably work out, is that. Sony has really soiled a lot of goodwill with Activision because Activision and Bobby Kotick are clearly in a position where they want to get bought. They want to let this pass through. Um, But at the same time, if it doesn't pass through, then Sony has kind of lost in their own right because they've hurt that thing. So they'd still get Call of Duty on their system, but it wouldn't surprise me if... If they were like, we're gonna go to, we're gonna take once your deal's up, your marketing deal, we're gonna go to Xbox and just have them pay us maybe even a little bit less, but just out of spite <laughs> for the the hurt that you did to us. I don't know that that would happen, but I just have a feeling that Sony's one of the things that Sony's been able to leverage for a long time is that they have good long relationships with a lot of publishers, and I think they're kind of hurting their one with Activision right now. And if I was any other publisher. Looking, I'd be like, well, if so, if Microsoft comes to us, are they just going to start shitting all over our relationship too? Like if Microsoft goes to Square Enix, is Sony just going to start being like, hey, 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 (laughs) fuck you, Square, you're not going to get any of that money, big buddy. Yeah. It's a a weird standing point because, I don't know, there's a couple of things. Um, One thing that... It's a, a, tech, a slight tangent, but I think it's an interesting thing to talk about too. Is Did you see where Activision claimed that, and it's true, that they have never had any of their games be on a game subscription service in any sizable way, and that short of Xbox buying them out, they would have, they had no intentions of going toward that because it cannibalized sales of actual games. So they weren't going to do it. And so they're Mm. saying like the only way you're going to see Activision games on a game subscription service is if Microsoft buys us. And their argument there was that they wouldn't be taking anything away from PlayStation because they're already not on PlayStation as a streaming thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, so Sony's not losing potential. Like, it's not like Call of Duty is going to suddenly hit like, you know, oh, Modern Warfare 2, a day-and-day release on PS Plus. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I don't know. I, I think that with that, it's like if it was never. The thing is, Microsoft likes to sit here and say we're not taking things away, and it's like, but you are. Just I know that they can't say it, but just say that. You know what I mean? Like just be like, yes, we're buying this Why to put it they? on our service. Because Sony's yelling at them because they're trying to take something away, but the whole oh, thing, you're saying in this particular situation, in they this can't situation, say it, it would sure, yeah. The CMA would be like, you admit it, right? <laughs> yeah. okay. But I think the thing yeah. is, it's just like if you look back at Microsoft's past, like they're clearly full of shit. Like even the legacy comment Phil made about you know Bethesda, he's like anything mm-hmm. with legacy. All those games have legacy on PlayStation. Every single one. Just because the legacy was stronger on Xbox. You know, because I know I I didn't listen to the Lex Friedman thing yet, but I saw a uh, a clip of Todd Howard being like, well, you know, we were we were kind of always an Xbox developer. You know, it it was always an Xbox developer. And I'm like, sure, that's fine. I got the platinum in Fallout New Vegas and Fallout 3 and Skyrim. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about because I played that shit on PlayStation. So, you know, my argument there is like you took it. Just say it. Be like, oh, anything with legacy will come out. Okay. So I, that means I'm getting Doom 3. That means I'm getting Wolfenstein 3. Elder Scrolls 6 is coming. Fallout 5 is coming. Starfield, keep it. You know? But yeah. so they're full of shit. And that's why I don't understand in a lot of ways why this is being fought in the court of public opinion and why it's being fought there. And then why Let me- are they saying all this stuff? Because they're just going to do the, the reverse. It's like let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you do you think it's to the benefit of Sony or Microsoft, either way or the other, do you think it's to the benefit or the detriment that this is being discussed in the court of public opinion so much? Oh, it's to do the detriment. Do you think that 100%. Okay. Okay. 100%. Because the thing is to the detriment of who specifically? The public. All parties? <laughs> So no, seriously, looking at the business because, side of it, because everything that's being said right now is not real, and both sides know it. Because neither one of them are actually in court. Mm-hmm. This benefits both companies because Sony can look at them and be like, "Well, you're buying exclusives. We don't do that." And, but because they're not under their oath, Jim can fucking lie, <laughs> right? He can lie. He can be like, "We've never bought an exclusive in our life." Final Fantasy sixteen. What is that? That's not real. You know what I mean? Because it well, just makes I, his argument you know, better. But well, and, and and there's always the technicalities of the argument, right? Sony can say we've never bought an exclusive by outright buying the developer. It's Instead, true. what they can say is, "Hey, we bought Insomniac after years of being the only people that publish their games mm-hmm. and having a strong relationship with them." And guess what? Spider Man would not have been made without us. By without us working with Insomniac and us fronting that cost, it, it you know when we bought Insomniac, you didn't lose the potential for Spider Man everywhere because it would have never happened without us and our relationships right. and our money and our relationship with not only Disney and, and Marvel but our relationship with Insomniac. Mm-hmm. So they can say that right, and they can say like, yeah, we bought Naughty Dog, but Naughty Dog was making original PlayStation games by that point, mm-hmm. and they were they weren't making things that were previously on the market and would have continued to be on the market. In you know, short of someone buying them out, and regardless how you feel that 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 is a it's a technicality, but it is true. So we can look and say, well, yeah, you know, if Microsoft was saying we're buying one year of exclusivity for Call of Duty, and Sony can be like, yeah, or or we're buying one game exclusivity for Call of Duty, and Sony can be like, oh yeah, we 
we bought one game exclusivity for Final Fantasy VII Remake. But even then, you know, it's the thing is like, in the, the arguments re- are all fascinating to me. That's all I'm saying. But they're all bullshit <laughs> because I agree because Sony's every full one of, shit of them is. Uh, Sony does the stuff. And we saw this recently when Sony was like, well, Microsoft might raise prices while they raised prices. Like, Mm -hmm. they're lying. Just like Microsoft is like, oh, we could never make games as good as Sony's, but we would also never take games away. And it's like, well, you just bought Bethesda because you can't make good games. So you bought Bethesda so you have good games in your portfolio. That's fine. You know, I I don't care about any of this stuff. This is It's all fine. I'm a free market capitalist, baby. Everyone should get bought. Do what you want to do with your products. <laughs> I, I'll tell you right now, in, in looking at Sony and Microsoft in the sense of just how the things have personally benefited me, I'm telling you right now, Sony is missing out, in my opinion. This is just my opinion. I would fucking love to play any, and I'm not saying that there's not a good reason as to why they can't, but good on Microsoft because I would kill to play any PS3 exclusive that I adore on PS5 in 4K at 60 frames per second without it having to be a remaster. Mm-hmm. Dude, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. I'm probably going to play Fable again because I can play it at 4K 60 frames per second. I'm probably going to try and play Red Dead 1 again because why the <laughs> hell not? I downloaded all the Gears games, like the old ones. <laughs> yeah, but that's my point. It's like, dude, I, do you, I was thinking about it. Fallout 3, oh. does it have 4K 60 frames on, yeah. on Xbox? Fuck yeah. yes. Yeah. That's dude, that is killer. Yeah. That is amazing. And I think Sony's missing out by not doing something similar. So is, there's that part of me that's like right now, I like where the competition's at and I don't particularly care what's going on. But I think both sides are making arguments that in a vacuum make sense. But then when you look at them in the bigger scheme, it's like, yeah, but you're both just changing perception of things that you both do to try and make it look strategically beneficial for you or strategically hurtful against sony one way or the other mm-hmm. I don't and know. yeah it's 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 really i just think that because there's so many eyes on it which you know in, in the age of the internet it's kind of hard for there to not be yeah i mean but i don't know i just i for me it's like i wonder why this wasn't just done and quietly it, I don't know. For me, I, if I was Sony, I would have just been like, fine, you guys can do this. We're going to, while you guys are fighting this in court, we're going to just buy up a bunch of companies. But they're not doing that either. Well, so it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Well, think about it this way. Sony stands, if this works, Sony stands to benefit from the, from the majority because most, even though there are eyes on this, it's still only the core gaming population, which is still a rather small amount. There's probably a million to three million people that are really looking at this and have any stakes in it or care, or it's going to really hurt their opinion of Sony or Microsoft either way. Then yeah. you have the 120 million other people who bought PS4s and are going to buy PS5s who are just worried about whether Call of Duty is on PlayStation. So Sony really stands to benefit far more than they're losing by making this loud and out in the in the you know gaming sphere for the few hardcore gamers to see because they can make themselves look foolish and so can Microsoft and and everyone involved, but it ultimately doesn't hurt them. So Sony's aiming to win by barely hurting their PR image for a small group of people who are probably going to say shit about Sony, but then keep buying Sony anyway. And then for the casual gamers who didn't even know anything about what was happening, they win. Yeah. 100%. Um, 
I don't know. I still think this war was the console war was lost when backwards compatibility became a thing. That, that's part of my big thing with all these arguments. Is I think they're all stupid because nobody's leaving their library. Someone, the only thing I, I feel like could happen, and I'm not saying people won't switch. People will switch. But the people who In are mass. spending money on PlayStation are not going to switch. Yeah, And even if they buy an Xbox as a second console because they'd rather pay $15 to play Call of Duty than 60 who cares? If they still <laughs> yeah. have a PlayStation, who gives a shit? There's no way with backwards compatibility being a thing, people are going to leave the libraries. It's just not happening. So I feel like all the arguments of people are going to leave the Sony ecosystem full of shit. Until Microsoft goes, we will foot the bill. If you want to come over here from PlayStation, pay us $99 for every 100 games you have and we will switch them to Xbox versions. That's the only way they need to be worried. <laughs> that legitimately, that's the only way. Yeah, which is, as we all know, would never happen. No. You'd become but, a loss leader immediately. Yeah. So at that point, it's like, who cares? Yep. Well, moving on to the next thing of news, Gran Turismo appears to be attempting a pit stop on PC. Series lead uh, Kazunori Yamauchi, I never know how to say his damn name, confirmed that Polyphony is considering a port and moving the series off the PlayStation consoles. It won't come without difficulty, though, as he continued on to say that, quote, Gran Turismo is a very finely tuned title, he added. There are not many platforms which could run the game in 4K 60p natively. So one way we make that possible is to narrow down the platform. It's not a very easy subject, but of course, we are looking into it and considering it. Um, you know, I, I think Gran Turismo would do well on PC. Uh, so I'm not surprised to see this, but I have been curious as to how they're going to do. Because uh, Gran Turismo tends to be like a, a, a system showcase. But there's that part of you that's like, well, so is Spider-Man. And Spider-Man made it to PC fine. <laughs> so not being a developer, it, this is a curiosity. But I also don't, definitely the way he's saying it, why would he be lying? Sony games are going to PC. He's probably genuinely looking and thinking like there's some challenges we'd have to overdo and whether it's worth it or not is a, a numbers game, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think you have much to add on to Gran Turismo. I do not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next thing up. Finally, something interesting came out of the fight for Call of Duty. Documents in the case have revealed that Sony and Microsoft don't intend to launch the next generation of consoles until at least 2028. In fact, this appears to be the soonest the companies are envisioning it happening, implying it could be even further down the line. This would make a lot of sense considering that this would be the longest console cycle we've gone through, narrowly beating out PS4 generation by a year. PS3 and Xbox 360 were abnormally long, and PS4 was quite a long time as well. Uh, but much like PS3 was elongated because of the financial crisis of uh, 2008, the same thing is here because of COVID's impact on gaming and ability to meet demand. So they want to squeeze more out of this product uh, uh, and then, of course, get more games out of it from developers who have been slower to release because of uh, COVID crisis as well. Uh, this checks out. Now, 
something to note, this doesn't say there won't be mid-gen refreshes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, in that with that in mind, uh, clearly it's not a question of whether you buy this. <clears throat> There's documents that say this. But what do you what do you make of this? Do you think that it kind of checks out? Do you think it's strictly from business of COVID impacting? Or do you think it was always intended to be this long? Because if you remember, there was a remark from, if I'm not mistaken, it was Jim Ryan, but it was someone, maybe Mark Cerny, saying that, they didn't want generations to be as long. Mm. I think it was Mark Cerny during the the showcase for PS5 where he was doing the tech side of things. Um, but clearly, COVID changed that, or at least it seems that way to me. Do you agree? And then what do you think about mid-gen consoles coming or not? I agree. Um, I feel like the mid-gen refreshes, I, and I felt like this last time where we were basically looking at a PS5 they just didn't want to call it that because it wasn't a huge leap. And I don't know. To me, it's like depending on if these are so much, if, depending on the power of the mid-gen refreshes, like what does that mean? Is that basically a PS6? And then what? We're just not calling it that because we're not doing a flashy launch and we're keeping the same form factor. You know what I mean? Like what are we mm-hmm. looking at? Because if it's more powerful and it runs things better and blah, 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 at a certain point, that's just the PS6. <laughs> and that's what I wonder about these mid-re- mid these mid-cycle refreshes, is it feels like very convenient wording so that they can have their cake and eat it too. They can make a, give a more powerful console, and they can have a hype cycle for a, the new console. Not against it. I just find it interesting that, in my opinion, mm-hmm. we're kind of looking at a new console generation. My devil's advocate thing <clears throat> would be that the difference is is that games are made to work both across both of them without backlash of uh, cross-generation issues. No one yeah. questions whether or not PS5 is holding back the PS5 Pro because it's the same namesake and right. the games are essentially built in the same way. Whereas if Sony were to actually say, well, here we are four years in and we've made a more powerful thing, so this is PS6, they would get a lot of flack for not having, they, we're seeing it right now, for not having strictly PS6 games. People sure. be like, why am, Why are you holding back my PS6 with these PS5 but, games? So but, I get your point. I think but, in essence, I get what you're meaning, but I think it allows Sony a lot of wiggle room to not have to worry about. Well, I agree. That's my thing. Because right? I don't think you'd ever see a PS5 Pro exclusive. That's really my standpoint. But right. Nintendo has done clearly weird things because there were new Nintendo 3DS exclusives. I don't know yeah, if you remember that. I do. And th- but that leads to my a part of my point is wouldn't the base PS5 hold back the PS5 Pro? I mean, technically, like, yeah, sure. It, but no one's going to say that because the expectation exactly. is different. Exactly. Yeah. So we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah, we are. They have their cake and eat it too. They're releasing a PS6 and they're not going to call it that. It's going to be what $600. What year? 25. Mm, I'm saying I'm saying late 23, early 24. That's, that's where my that brain's kind of at. That makes sense. Because that, that'll put us, what, four, three to four years into the console cycle? When did the PS4 Pro release? Uh, it was 2017? That I was actually so, five yeah. years in, wasn't it? Hold on. PS4 Pro release. It might have been 2016. It was 2016. And so that was three years because PS4 came out in 2013. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see. And, you know, I think one of the other things while we're just talking about the idea of a generation, right? I think Sony specifically puts a little bit more emphasis on trying to have, and, and everything does this to a degree, but 
Sony tries to have some really new thing to bring with it. So like a new controller, like we're going to bring controllers and how you interact with the game forward with this console. And they don't really have to do that with the PS5 Pro. It can still just have the DualSense. They don't have to, you know, they don't have to be like, well, we're also bringing 3D audio. Like that was the PS5 stick. And the PS6 will probably have some new, like, this is the big change we want to make for this generation. I'm not saying Xbox doesn't do that, but I think Xbox has been more iterative to where most of what you're seeing with enhanced backwards compatibility, they started on Series X. So it's like all they did was iterate on that. So you can look and say, well, yeah, the Series uh, or the, sorry, the the One X is where they started it. And then they continued it on the Series X. And you can say that the Series X, of course, does frame rate boosts and stuff, but we already saw the 4K resolution boost on Xbox One X, and they're just furthering the idea of enhancing back compatibility, which is great, and I'm glad to see it. But they're not as worried about Sony of having something that's specific to that console, which is good and bad. I think it makes your console seem less flashy because it doesn't have something Mm -hmm. new, but it still has something valuable. Like, you know, I, I think the Series X enhanced backwards compatibility is incredibly valuable. And it makes replaying old games feel like they did when you played them without anyone having to remaster them at all. And that's impressive because playing Oblivion the way I am right now feels like the dumbass, like whenever I was 12 or whatever, however old I was, was like, whoa. <laughs> and I know Oblivion didn't truly look that good back then, but it's okay nonetheless. Um, that's all right. Though. Uh, moving on to the next piece of news, CD Projekt Red has given more details on its remake of the original Witcher game. In an investor's report, the company describes the game as a, quote, modern reimagining, end quote, and is being turned into an open world game. We'll likely not see this game for years as CD Projekt Red has basically confirmed the game is in very early development and is likely years away from release, but at least we have a little more information about it. So this is actually not surprising, but I'm surprised that they didn't say this with the initial announcement. Because I remember asking, like, are they going to make the world open world or are they going to keep it a linear game? And clearly they opted for an open world. But why say that two weeks later? If your game is super far away, you don't have to worry about trying to keep it in the news every now and then. Just say it and then shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, clearly CD Projekt Red wants to be in the news. And there was that rumor via David Jaffe that Sony was looking at purchasing them. So maybe they're trying to keep themselves relevant. And every once in a while, they're like, hey, this is open world. You guys like those? You guys like open do you think, worlds? Do you think Sony would look at buying them to basically at least have some frontier of combating the Western RPG uh, wall of developers that Microsoft acquired? 100%. Yeah, hundred percent. If I was Sony, I would, I would be right now trying to buy Bioware at a discount and then bumping money into them. Well, and, so that, that's what I was about to say. Is short of so, I guess at this point, it's it's better to say like an independent, right? An mm-hmm. independent studio that so that Microsoft hasn't already bought. Who besides CD Projekt Red is even a good? Like who among them have put out RPGs that have become just as beloved and sold very well 
brushing up close to like these obsidian and and Bethesda numbers to a degree. You know, like The Witcher I Three mean, propelled them to that. If I was Sony, opinion. and if I was in, if I had Jim Ryan's wallet, and shit. So did so did Cyberpunk. Just to throw that yeah. out there, Cyberpunk sold incredibly well, regardless mm-hmm. of the controversy. Um, if I had Jim Ryan's wallet, I'd be talking to Larian. I'd be talking to CD Projekt. I would have been. I would have bought spiders before Embracer. I would have bought. Uh, I think that that's actually true. Greedfall would have been the game if I was Sony to make me go. Give them the right time budget, and mm-hmm. they can make. They can. They can pull it off. They can. Because I'll tell you, it, before Greedfall, that was my question. I always liked their ideas and hate. I and fell. I dislike their execution. And then they finally pulled it off with Greedfall, and I'm like, you give them a little bit of time and a little bit of money. And I guarantee you that if you have a studio like Ice helping them, you can have a killer studio there, and it would have been cheap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I think Warhorse Studio. I would have. I if I was them, I would have. Warhorse. Um, Kingdom Come. Oh yeah. Well, here's the thing. So, like, my initial response really was to say that those are great Western RPG developers. I don't think any of them quite, besides CD Projekt Red specifically, carry the weight of Bethesda or Obsidian. They don't. Larian, I think, gets close to Obsidian you in don't terms need- of niche niche love. And you don't. You're right, because Sony has proven time and again that with culture, money, and time, and creative freedom, with a little bit of you know wrangling that in enough to be like, you still have to get a game out in a reasonable time, has worked very well for them. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think the thing is, even with the Call of Duty thing, right? Sony's sitting here like, we will never be able to beat Call of Duty. And Mm -hmm. probably not. But that's strictly because of name recognition. Same way that Fallout and Bethesda and Skyrim and all these games, they're really terrified of them taking them. But there are thousands of games better than Skyrim. Maybe not thousands, but there's lots of games better than Skyrim. But it's because you know Skyrim, right? So if spiders, spiders could have made Skyrim, and it wouldn't have been as big because it's sky, it's it's spiders, right? So what Sony needs to do is invest the money, invest the time, take the cachet that comes with being a Sony first party, and then be like, "This is our new RPG. We're we've just created a, a nucleus." of the greatest RPG studios in the con- in the world. And then just make games out of there, you know? Have these core studios like Larian do their top-down Divinity, Baldur's Gate, Pil- you know, that kind of thing. Have the Obsidian guys. And then Well, I think what's interesting there is that you're you're <laughs> you're basically telling Sony to do what Microsoft did. Buy these studios and still let them make smaller games. And I think that that's the weird thing is Sony is very they they tend to want like they let smaller games come out. I don't want to say they don't because Concrete Genie is a smaller game and it was great, and Puppeteer and all these weird games that were made within you know in house ways were great. And I think that they showed a lot of what Xbox is doing, but Xbox is doing it to a much higher extent. They're like Obsidian wants to release fucking Grounded 
and Pentiment in the same year. They're both smaller titles that mm-hmm. didn't cost much to make, and they have a niche enough following, and they're odd enough games that people will play them to try them out, and they'll probably at least break even, if not be reasons for people to subscribe to Game Pass. Bam. I think Sony's mindset, whether it's based in what would actually happen or not, is that we don't have Game Pass to bolster what we do, so we have to make sure people are buying this game. And so Housemark is a good example of Sony coming in, buying a smaller developer, and being like, here, we're going to give you this. But even then, Pentiment is probably like a 30 to $40 game, right? Return of 70 Yeah. <laughs> so my, my point being is that I don't like... It's does, $20. Does a... Does a Okay, does Larian does a Larian game at seventy dollars, yes, on PlayStation perform well enough for Sony to feel like it was a justified purchase? I don't know the answer to that. I think Returnal is probably a good example because they clearly seem impressed by Housemark, so maybe it is. Hold on. Um, I mean. Divinity Two has sold over a hundred, over a million copies. You know, it's not okay. huge, but it's probably I mean, on that's par. That's pretty good. Probably on. And par that was a sixty-dollar release at, at least at launch. Yeah. I doubt we'll. I'll be able to find the number on this, but on uh, which one? Baldur's Gate. Did it release? It's in early access. Oh yeah, fair. Baldur's Gate I don't know three. If they count Baldur's Gate three in early access has already sold over a million copies. Interesting. How much did Returnal sell? I think Sony announced that. Um, also, Returnal needs to hit PC. Five hundred sixty thousand copies as of July eighteenth, twenty twenty one. So that's who knows what it is now. I can't find it. Fraternal did not crack the top 10 of NPD the month it came out. So apparently Sony considers Returnal a mega hit. And that was July 25th, 2021. Huh. So it was within expectation. So maybe you're right. Maybe that as is a real Ju- path forward. For as Sony. of July 18th, 2021, the game has sold over 560,000 copies. Yeah. But that's crazy. It must go to show how much money in marketing they put behind certain things. Because if I remember right, I think that Sly Cooper Thieves in Time mm-hmm. sold like 230000 And they were like, that was a flop. And I'm not saying that isn't a flop. But you would, I would imagine that Returnal probably cost at least similar to make as Sly Cooper. Or maybe not. Maybe not. But with games expanding in cost uh, in comparison to their PS3 counterparts, there's a real curiosity there. So, yeah, that's interesting. Oh, it sold 150,000 copies in the U.S. over six weeks. So maybe it was considerably less. VG charts is not necessarily the best <laughs> best indicator to go off of. <laughs> but let's see what they say. They showed the game at 0.58 million total, so around 580,000. Yeah. If so, VG charts is to be believed. So if you just think about it that way, you know, think about a Larian game promoted by Sony as a Sony tentpole first party one. 
You know, I'm sure it would be a Horizon game, but fine. Like so, oh, you know, because I, I, I'm kidding. I hope to God it's not that. I only say that because I feel like Sony is running the risk of overpopulating their IPs, like overstimulating you with them. But not everyone seems to have a problem with that. So that's just a personal gripe. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want New Horizon four times a year. I'm not saying that's what's happening, but it's like, it's it's odd. I I don't know. It's it's weird to to think about. But go ahead. What were you gonna say? I don't know. I just think they need to build a nucleus of incredible developers who make incredible games. And I know that sounds super simple, but I think right now it's very easy. Easier said it, than done. Yeah, I, but I don't even know that it is easier said than done. Right? Is for, all of for, them have to be receptive to being bought out. All of them have to be bought out without the CMA for some reason. I'm not saying it would, but without any regulation board <clears> saying that it would be an issue, which I don't think that the the highest probability in all of that would be CD Projekt Red just because they're the biggest one. Right. Um, so doubtful of that. But there's a lot of variables as to why well, it may even be then, easier said than done. None of these studios, they could probably buy the... they. I would be willing to bet that Square Enix, Larian, CD Projekt Red, buying Spiders and Warhorse from Embracer would cost less than $69 billion. <laughs> so let me ask you something more impo- that I think is a more important side of this. Do you mm. think Sony cares about the perception of, or really the perception and the reality of what they say? Like, is it PR talk when they say they have a they have a a culture and they work with developers slowly to bring them in and make sure their culture matches and then buy them? Do you think that that matters for them scooping up and buying like Larian and people that they don't really have a strong relationship with? Do or do you think that the hip, the, the hypocrisy of looking like doing a Microsoft move? Do you think Sony cares about that? Because like Sony buying just up and buying CD Projekt Red uh, when they don't really have any super special relationship with them. If anything, they have a bad relationship because they essentially admonished CD Projekt Red for releasing Cyberpunk and then telling them that they could get refunds without clearing it through Sony or whatever the the drama was. But my point being is does Sony care about the perception of that either from people thinking thinking it looks hypocritical or would Sony also literally be like, it's not the way we buy studios. What do you think? Um, do you think that would impact their choices to do these things? Or do you think Sony would at this point be like, this is the game. If we're going to keep up and survive, we have to play it to some degree. We're I still buy yeah. studios when we can the way we always did. But other times we got to buy to not miss out. Yeah. I think it's sometimes we got to buy to not miss out. Right. Like, Maybe Sony doesn't want Sonic, but if 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 Microsoft is looking at buying Sega, you better figure out a way to get in there and do it yourself because you can't lose Persona. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. You we'll can't, see. you know, you don't want to lose Baldur's Gate. And while it may not do much for you, you know, it may not make, you know, Jim's penis hard to have Divinity exclusive, but it would make a lot of people's penis hard. You know what I mean? It would sell a lot of consoles. Well, and then at what point is it also reasonable for you to be like, hey, Larian, make a cool RPG that people love of your niche style, and it'll be a PS Plus um, premium yeah. day and date launch. I mean, that's like been my argument. That's been my argument forever. Like, I think I said on this show, buy Konami's IPs and then buy a bunch of small studio 
buy someone like Team Cherry, buy, I don't remember who did Dead Cells, but buy the Dead Cells guys and be like, you want to make a Castlevania roguelite? You know what um, I mean? It's Team something. I think it's Half I, Moon I or something like that. No. Half damn. Door. It's, it's two stars back to back, cut in half back to back. Yeah. back. Uh, Dead Cells developer. I can't believe I can't think of what it is. Motion Twin. That's it. Motion Twin. Mucin Twin. Um, because to me, I oh, think it's just, be- a, it's just a star. Never mind. Yeah, I'm thinking of infamous <laughs> two stars. I, I always said, I, I said, and I, I mean it. They should have a, a PlayStation showcase where they do. They come up there and they're like. Everyone hasn't been happy with premium. This is what we got cooking for you. And then it's a slide of just Motion Twin, Team Cherry, all these all these things. And then it has the Konami logo. And it's like, they're going to make small IPs specifically for PS Plus Premium, exclusively for Sony. And we've, we've acquired all these studios. Like, this is what we're doing. Microsoft did that. You know, take a, take a play out of their book and be like, this is what we want to do. We're going to make a bunch of indie games that are... I guess they wouldn't be indie games. We're going to make a bunch of small games to supplement the PS Plus catalog. And then, hey, we have these big purchases over here. Larian Studios doing an RPG. Spiders is doing a big budget. Bigger but a bit, you know... Have a quote come out on Twitter. Hey, we, we got bought by Sony and our budget is 10 times more than it was on Greedfall. The budget for Greedfall is 10 times bigger. We got voice acting in Greedfall 2 because we were bought by Sony. You know what I mean? Like, you want that kind of stuff. Just buy studios and improve them because clearly Microsoft is doing that. Well, do I guess I shouldn't think, say clearly. But. Do you think that Sony sees more value in letting that space be filled by indies that they have a strong relationship with and then still making their 30% without having to spend a dime in development? I'm kind of thinking like, what would Sony's reason to be? What would be the reason against it? Would it cannibalize indie sales in their own platform or not? I don't really thinking it back, like thinking to it. Sony has a lot of goodwill with indies, and they sell a lot of games uh, through indies on their platform, partially because they're one of the bigger platforms, uh, but they also tend to highlight indie games with, during sales and uh, during launch period of certain types. And would that get in the way or not? Like you know, like. Is it, a, is it a clear fire good? Because I've said the same thing. I, I love the idea of them getting some smaller studios, even if it's just creating smaller studios within their own um, their own umbrella and being like, hey, we're going to give you the ability to just choose from games from PlayStation's IP uh, history and do interesting, odd games with them and just see what you make. And let's yeah. say, hey, these are, these are day one PS Plus premium games uh, right. to help. You know, we can't do that with our big games, but we can at least do it with these games. And they, you know, like what if Stray was internal instead of being an external game? Right, Kina. Hmm? You know, actually, I I would be surprised if Sony doesn't look at Ember Labs as a. Oh, I'd be shocked. I think it's interesting because I think we'll see a lot more M and A before this is all over, and I just think that Sony needs to take advantage of what of what Microsoft is doing and go. And quite frankly, if this Activision deal goes through, Sony better start buying stuff. They better be like, okay, gates are open. Square Enix, let's go. You know, I don't necessarily think that's the best way, but 
Maybe that's that's something they need to do. Maybe you do need to invest in smaller studios with a couple million dollars to just make make stuff for PS Plus Ultimate. Well, I've long said that I think if your competition is has a good plan or a good idea, take it, make it your own. I don't, I don't begrudge anybody. Like, if PlayStation's like, dude, Xbox is killing it with enhanced backwards compatibility. We got to up our game and start doing enhanced backward compatibility and figure it out. That's mm-hmm. awesome. If they do, not not that they have to, and it may not make business sense to. But if they do, I'm not gonna be like, look at my look at Sony copying Microsoft. I'm gonna be like, cool. They saw an obviously good idea and thought we can do that and provide that value to our customers as well. So if the answer is to go, people are really enjoying these small games coming out of these you know smaller studios, or the other thing of Sony allowing bigger studios to have small teams making games. That's important. Like, who's to say that Sony couldn't let a little section of Sony Santa Monica go off with Eric Williams and go, you wanted call, you wanted Castlevania? We can't justify a $70 AAA multi-million, $100 million Castlevania, but what we can do is let you work with the IP and do what you want to with it for $10 million. Here you are. Because mm-hmm. I think that that's, there's a lot of value in saying, like, Obsidian gets to make their big game, they get to make Avowed, and they get to make uh, uh, The Outer Worlds Part 2, and they get to make all those things. But then they also get to put out Pentiment, and they also get to put out Grounded. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wish Sony would find a way to do that. Let your studios have more teams inside of them and have a couple of small teams of like 20 developers. Like, here, what can you make 20 developers I'd for be, $10 million? Would, <laughs> yes. I would be interested to see Sony... And then you Start. get namesake, right? You get to go, mm-hmm. this is a Santa Monica project. Right. Not this is some new developer that we just made project. Mm-hmm. You know? I wonder, tell me what you think of this idea now that we're thinking about it, right? Sony establishes a studio of just development guys. And then their people in other parts of the, the company start just feeding ideas into there. Basically, do what Todd Howard does right now, where they're just create all they are like executive producers. Yeah, like Corey Barlog is hard at work on God of War, but he goes to the studio and he's like, "I have this idea. See what you can do." Yeah, or you know, that's actually what Todd Howard did. Apparently, that that interview you should watch it. He was talking I, about I how the how the Indiana Jones game ended up coming about, and he said he originally pitched this idea like in two thousand nine. And the reason it didn't happen is because at that point, Lucas Games wanted to publish it. But Bethesda were like, we're a publisher. We want to publish it. So the deal fell apart. But he said that whenever he saw that Disney was doing more stuff with other developers, since Disney owns all that stuff now, that he reached back out with some of his contacts, but that he couldn't make the team happen for it. Uh, and that the Elder Scrolls team probably wasn't the right, or the the Bethesda Softworks team is probably not the best fit for it, and their hands are too full. So he's like, I just, we took it to Machine Games. They're a good fit for it. They have the right type of mentality. They have they don't have anything going on right now, and he's still creative directoring or whatever, but they're being the developers. So that you're kind of right. Mm-hmm. He can. That's that's exactly what Square Enix does with uh, Ted C. Nomura. They'll just be yeah. like, hey, he's the director. And he'll be like, I'm what? <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's like he's like executive producer and creative director and all sorts of stuff on a plenty of games. Kind of like uh, Kojima used to do at Konami. They would just be like, Kojima's in somehow in relation to this game. 
So, yeah, I don't know. I just wish we could see them start doing more creative things. I think we need to start. I could see that. You know, maybe getting our release times down from five years. I personally agree with that. You know, from there's a lot of different feelings and a, and a lot of different stuff going on with uh, with uh, Sean. Um, Layden. Why am I uh, Sean Layden? Yeah, and you know, some people, rightfully so, are asking. You know, are are criticizing his uh, quick jump into Chinese funded development, all sorts of stuff. But one thing I think is very poignant that he said, and it's clearly coming to a head, at least for me personally, and my own interest in games, is that games can't keep being 40 hours, $300 million games forever. Not, not Every game can't strive to be that. And that it's okay for AAA games to be like, here's a 15-hour Hundred million dollar game, yeah, and, and that's I, the best. I think you know my tendencies for games tend to float toward that, or at least right now they go through cycles. But I do kind of get exhausted of every game being so long and asking you to stick with it for so long and being demanding of your time because I think it creates some unhealthy tendencies, which I have my own unhealthy tendencies. Playing Hot Wheels to the point where I'm starting to hate it just because I'm trying to minimize the amount of time to get the platinum when I could have just done what they intended and kept playing the game for fun to get the platinum. <laughs> but no, I have to be an idiot and and say, I've got to get this platinum, so let me play the game in probably the worst way and hate myself for it, you know? <laughs> I do. Some of it's on me. I, I don't I don't absolve all blame. Uh, let's get through the rest of these news real quick, and then you can quickly uh, get through your idea. We can present to the community uh, your your brainchild. Mm, my brainchild. Does that sound like me, a plan? Me and TT Doc's brainchild. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I'll give him his flowers for helping me with the rules here. Okay, anyway, there we go. Let's see what's next on the news. All right. God of War Ragnarok becomes PlayStation's fastest-selling first-party launch in the company's history, selling through 5.1 million copies in its debut week, dethroning the previous title holder, which was The Last of Us Part Two. In addition to this, God of War got some publicity as it landed Time Magazine's Game of the Year, so it got some uh, visibility outside of the gaming sphere. So that's pretty big, you know? Um, <laughs> just to counteract that Pokemon Scarlet and Violet sold 10 million in three days. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's important to throw out there uh, because I think both games are partially selling on the back of their IP and just general excitement for them. But it goes to show you how popular Pokemon is and how relative and, and also it, it is still a show of how impressive Ragnarok is because it still did pretty well in comparison to Pokemon, which is a mm -hmm. global, humongous, multi-franchise and multimedia uh, IP. So uh, next thing up, PS5 users get access to PlayStation tournaments that launched today, a new system feature. Um, that is a new take on a similar initiative that you may remember from the PS4 era. So this allows users to sign up for and compete in certain games via activity cards in the quick menu while you are playing games that are compatible with this feature more being added but there are a handful of games day one i personally it's cool i'm always for adding more ui features and stuff that people might use i see zero use for this 
Doesn't mean I won't find one one day, but I personally have no care for this. Chris? I don't care. I figured not. And then last, but certainly not least, as I think this might be one that a lot of people agree with, uh, or at least hope for, Criterion Games said in an interview with Eurogamer that it would love to return to the the Burnout series in the future, stating that they think it'd be, quote, really fun, end quote. And a lot of people have been begging for Burnout to come back. Uh, Including doesn't mean it's going to happen. Podcast host, but Me. they love it. <laughs> uh, what you know, Chris? It's been so long since Burnout. Last game for Burnout being Paradise. For you, is more Burnout that you'd be happy with in the context of modern games and everything? Would it just be more of Paradise? Would it be more of the games before that, like Burnout 3, Revenge, or whatever it was called? Um, or do you think that if Burnout comes back, it does need to evolve to some degree? What are, you, like, what are your thoughts on a new Burnout? What would it have to do to be successful to you? I mean, honestly, I would take Paradise with a little bit of Burnout 3 brought back in. Okay. What aspects of Burnout 3 do you feel like Paradise didn't have? Um, it had it, but I feel like it wasn't as deep with just the crashing mechanics. Like, Yeah. I like the way Burnout 3 does it. And it it's in Burnout Paradise, but it's less pronounced. Like takedowns and stuff? Or yeah. do you mean like... Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. Uh, <clears throat> one of the game modes of Burnout and all of them that I really love is the the one where you wreck and then see how long you can extend the wreck to just cause more damage and more money and you just see how you can rack up damage. Do you ever, excuse me, do you ever do that? Not that I know of. I think there's a platinum, I think there's a trophy, unless I'm really conflating a different burnout. In Paradise? I know that that's in a burnout game, but I think Paradise has that and I think there's a trophy related to getting a certain amount of money built up in that game mode. Maybe I don't know. If I, you have I, I must not have done it because I don't remember the game mode. Yeah. Well, the idea is that like you wreck on purpose, and you try and wreck in such a way that after you wreck, you can use the analog stick to continue turning the car and like jumping from car to car, and you got to just keep causing accidents to happen so to keep your momentum up because once your car comes to a rest, it's it's over, and however much damage you racked up is like your score. It's like a <laughs> however much money and damage you racked up. It's a very fun game mode. That would be cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't know personally for me. I think I'd be happy with more of Burnout, but with a higher emphasis on takedowns being pulled back into the game. Um, I don't think you played it, but Need for Speed Payback actually had something very similar to that in it because Payback had the idea for cars that were classed. So you had cars that were for racing, cars that were for drifting and cars that were for, I think it was called like, it wasn't chauffeuring. It was something like that, but it was like, it was a car that was made for you to transport people to and from place in one piece. And in those missions, your car had armor and it had a ram damage. And so cars would come up on you and you had to like knock the health out of the other cars. And I loved it. Cause I was like, this feels like burnout, but in need for speed, which I was cool with. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's it, are you still planning on getting Unbound? Absolutely. I will 100% get Unbound. I don't know that I'll get it at launch day. Uh, I think I'm going to start with Callisto, which I'm still waiting to see whether or not you get disc or digital with yours. I'm Just so I know whether or not I have to buy it. 
if I don't have to buy a Callisto, I'll probably go ahead and buy uh, Unbound day one. If I have to buy Callisto and Unbound, I'll just wait to buy Unbound for when I'm ready to play it. Mm-hmm. But I want to do Callisto first because I've just come off of Hot Wheels. So I, <laughs> I can give racing a break for a little bit. Fair. Yeah. Okay. What are your thoughts on games being early? Because I don't know if you saw, but Unbound tweeted, we, uh, you asked and we listened or whatever. And it was like, you can get the game early access if you pre-ordered this high-end version or if you're an EA Play Pro member. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, one of Skinny, uh, the, the Skinny Rage, uh, one of our uh, longtime friends, uh, he was like, who asked? And I was like, the shareholders. <laughs> that was my, <laughs> my version of the joke. But what are your thoughts on getting games early just for paying more for a pre-order? That seems like the best reason to pay more. I think Am I that's crazy? fair. <laughs> it's, it's way better than... Well, okay, let me say this. Well, it's, I don't it's, think most games that you pre-order, you pay more for. But if you pre-order this $99 edition, you get early access by... That's the best... Like Hogwarts Legacy, I'm going to buy that one. Yeah. You know, and that's strictly for the thing. I don't care that the Harry Potter surrogate gets a red cloak. I don't give a shit about that. I want to play that game three days early. <laughs> that's fair. I would definitely say that if if you if you made your pre-order bonus that I get to play early as opposed to my pre-order bonus or or my collector's edition bonus being that I get some set of armor that I don't end up using, then I'd be fine. One last interesting question for you. What is your thought on armor that's really cool that they only give you at the very end of a game? Uh, so like a good example is in God of War, there's a set of armor that one of the characters gets at the very end of the game. And it's I'm like, I wish I had that armor for that person the entire game because it looks sick. But here yeah. I am getting it when I'm never going to play the game again. That's clearly not true or unlikely to be true. But point being, it's like you're giving it to me when I'm wrapping out of the game. I've done everything the game has to offer. And most people are going to do this as the final challenge. So why give me cool armor and be like, yeah, you're still going to keep playing when there's nothing to do. I hate that. It's it's for New Game Plus, but New Game Plus doesn't come in the box anymore. So it's like, well, what's the point of all this? Yeah, that's true. I guarantee Ragnarok will get New Game Plus, though. Oh, 100%. It's like that. It's like the first three months update. We've added New Game Plus. They did it in Horizon Forbidden West as well. Yeah. I think they did it in God of War 2018. They did do it that in God way. of War 2018. <laughs> oh. Well, West it is comes what it in the is. Box. There you go. Just like it should. Then again, it's a very arcadey game. I'm not surprised. That kind of game needs New Game Plus, like Resident Evil 8 does. It's like, you don't have to play it, but if you want to keep playing these games and speedrun them or go through them with the power fantasy of all the weapons that you get later, let's do it. But, alas, it is time for you to offer up your take and your proposal for the trophy challenge of 2023. Uh, maybe in the future known as the Great Trophy Challenge of 2023. <laughs> no, I've just been debating this in my mind. I really liked doing the one with me and you and Blake. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. I think it would be fun to do it with the audience. So me and TT Dog, well, mostly TT Dog actually came with rules. I had some ideas for things I wanted to do. Like, I'd love to do a monthly, like, this is the PS Plus game, the first person who gets it gets bonus points something along those lines um mm-hmm. 
You know, now this would be a competition with us included, right? Hundred percent. You're saying, yeah. Okay. And to me, you know, I was thinking maybe we do it for money. That would be fun. Everyone can put in twenty five bucks. You know, that there's tons of ways to raise the stakes and do fun stuff. But I think it's just a cool way, a cool way to you know engage with people. Can engage with us. We can engage with them. And we can all compete, and we can talk shit when Brett just randomly shows up with forty extra platinums at the end of it all. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I take my, pl- I turn my trophy list private the entire competition. Oh, oh. No, but I, but that's the thing. Like I really like when we all, me, you, and Blake will just be like, "Look at, check this plat I just got." I love that. Yeah. Like I think that's so fun. And I think it would just be cool to have a thing in the Discord of. Josh Ayers just did Kingdom Hearts 1, you know. Um, so that's what I want to do. I, I hope people are interested if people want to do it for money. Brett, do you have any qualms about gambling on our trophies? No, I think all I want is to do what everyone is comfortable doing. So if we want to just do this for straight bragging rights, I'm totally fine. I mean, oh, we yeah. can put something into the mix. But, you know, if everyone wants there to be a, ja- a pot that you pay mm-hmm. into... We can absolutely do that. I think that's fun. But for and, people who may not want to put their money on the line in that way, if enough of you guys feel like you want to be part of it, but you don't like that aspect, we don't have to do that. We can find some other prize. It can be something simple. It could be some. It could be like a triangle squared shirt. We can yeah. find some way. Uh, triangle squared number one trophy hunter. You know what we're gonna do? <laughs> I have I have a plan. Right. We'll we'll do a. We can do the money thing if people want to do that. I think that's fun. We could also do. A WWE championship belt kind of thing. If you, Where you win, have the belt, you have the belt for a year. The next year, you lose. You sign the back of it and you give it away and you send it to the next person. That so you're telling me we fun. have to get a physical belt? Oh man, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. I, it's fine. Hey, I might have I might have people in my life with 3D printers that so we can make this happen. Perfect. Because it'd, it'd be cool to make the center of it be like a, a platinum, platinum trophy. trophy. <laughs> yeah. Or what if it's not a belt? It's literally just a big bust of a platinum trophy, and you got to keep it. That would also be cool. But you can the, sign the inside of it. See, but it'd be an honor system that people would have to pass it on when they lose the. You know that that's the only downside to it is like you have to trust that people would hold up their end of the bargain if they ever lose it you know yeah it'd be like a thing where like hey if or if or maybe they decide to stop gaming or stop listening to the podcast all right then you got to send it back in so that we can keep the spirit alive like we'll pay for it to come back or whatever it takes but mm-hmm. we gotta you know this is <laughs> this is the prize i like yeah. the idea of it being a belt or a platinum trophy but mm-hmm. it being a belt's kind of funny like, like i have the like i'd love to be on camera with, with the belt in hand absolutely like, you think you can get this come get it from me because right now ooh, i would ooh. arguably the belt holder yeah, I mean, technically, you would be the first winner. It was a trial run. Um, but uh, I to <laughs> clarify <laughs> anything people might be worried about, I think, you know, Mark was suggesting that we do it through tr- True Trophies because they mm-hmm. have their own rating system. I have my own way of thinking of doing it. Um, but I think the cool way that he was proposed, the cool thing that he was proposing was uh, you could you could conceivably win with only like five platinums. It's if just, just you, very if they're just that difficult and rare. Right. And yeah. I think that's cool. You know, obviously the, the bonus games is a whole thing. Like that could be, maybe that turns the tide for people, but well, let's say this right I now, really, this is not set in stone. 
This is able to be worked with. We have a, 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 a beginning guideline that we're apparently Chris worked out with Mark um, or Mark apparently largely worked out in because of Chris's prodding of him, one of the two. <laughs> well, but Mark, point, Mark had a lot being, of feedback on the other th- on the the Metacritic thing, so I was like, I'm not even going to take the feedback. I'm just going to go straight to the source. Mark, ha- hand me the rules. What do you think is best? Yeah. So with that in mind, this is not something that we're saying for sure is happening. What we want to make sure is that we're doing something that people are going to actually want to interact with that can continuously have new people coming into it. You know, there's nothing to say that you can't. You'll just be potentially at a disadvantage. Well, you wouldn't be Uh, at a disadvantage, right? Because it starts January 1st. That's how I would want to do it. I think if we're going to do it, mm -hmm. we'd start January 1st. And then, okay, you want to join later? You want to buy in or whatever it is? Fine. You can do that. All your trophies from January 1st count. Okay. You know, but that's I think the, the one thing well, I that's what I'm saying is you'll be at a disadvantage if you haven't been spending right from January to whenever. Time. Right. Yeah. But I do want to say the one thing that is, I think is very important because we talked about, well, not we, but you and, um, well, why is it? What it's, it's blanking. What last week's episode, you guys, Me discussed, and Joe? thank you. Yep. I'm so sorry. It just, I lost it. I was thinking Jim for some reason. You guys were talking yeah, Jim about Ryan this, on the <laughs> That'd be sick. The spam <laughs> games and the way that we're we're working on a way to make sure that you can't buy Stroke the Cat Simulator fifty times and win. Like I, that's mm-hmm. not like no. So, but what we'll you can there. do is get The Witcher Three's platinum in every region of the game released. You absolutely could do that <laughs> and win if you just really. Are I don't. Crazy. I don't think that would be worth it. But you could <laughs> because and that's the thing, like like right now, Evil West is an ultra rare platinum. So right now mm-hmm. my score when I have the Evil West platinum will be up here. But it's an easy platinum. So eventually it's gonna come down and settle in here. So that's what's gonna be really interesting <clears throat> is the final dates point of where your platinum falls. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something I I just think it'll be really fun. I really liked Doing it, we got the nice thirty platinums that year. So, so here's something that because I know I've I've logged on to True Trophies once. Are we strictly looking at the score that comes from the platinum itself, or is it the is it your total trophy score? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, would it be the person who has the largest growth in your overall trophy score? Or would it be based in only off of the score that's coming from the Platinums? And that might be a question for me to ask Mark, because I know he's f- far more familiar with True Trophies than either of us. We'd have to see, because I think my original plan was one point for a bronze, two for a silver, three for a gold, five for a platinum. And then that num- the platinum number would be multiplied by the percentage of people who haven't earned it, that platinum it, it would be weighted yeah right. it'd be weighted yeah that way you know jumping taco you'd get a one percent add-on bonus but something that's a 1.3 rarity it's like oh shit that was worth a lot you know what i mean um, so I, i'm thinking in reading this that it is totally inclusive of all trophies but the platinum count or the the, the number of platinums is weighted to kick you over in case your score ties. Mm-hmm. So like he was he was mentioning if for some reason you have a score tie, you get the platinum count to be the draw the, the deal breaker. So yeah. like if you both have the same score but one of you got 12 platinums and the other person only got 6 platinums, mm-hmm. 
then you can you'll still win by nature of having essentially platinum's high. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting because I think, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff we could do, you know. Maybe someone gets earns bonus points for the week or the month because we all have, we have a vote on who got the best platinum, even if it's not the rarest. You know, I definitely want to do like this is the you the game of the month is Callisto Protocol. Get the platinum and Callisto Protocol, you get an extra thousand points. You know what I mean? Something along those lines. So as long as people are interested, you know, maybe that's the community's we take. Can, Brett, I don't know. It's we can better work it out. Yeah, well, I mean, because yeah, you know, I know not, not everyone who listens to us is a trophy hunter. We're aware of that, mm. and we know that there's a smaller section of the gaming populace that is into trophy hunting. But I think as long as we have a good chunk of people who are wanting to interact with us on this and make it worth the time and effort that we would be putting into it. I love the idea, but I don't want to waste our time doing something that is not going to be received, you know, to any degree. So help us help you and let us know if this is something you're interested in. And I guess the community say could be, are you interested in it? And do you have thoughts on whether it should be a buy-in with money with a pot that someone wins? Do you want it to just be an item or something special that you can get? Because I I'm, I mean it when I say I don't mind paying somebody to make a shirt that says Triangle Squared number one trophy hunter or something like that. Just to, <laughs> you know, uh, or if you like the idea of a belt, a physical item that we can uh, pull money toward to, to start a tradition, you let us know what you like about it and if you want to be part of it, uh, and we'll work from there. But Chris, I think uh, unless you have something else you want to say in relation to this or anything else, no, I think we're, we're at the end of this thing, right? We are. Okay. Well, Chris, thank you for joining me, as you always, almost always do. You're still sickly this week, but I guess it's not as bad as last week. Um, it happened today, so I didn't have an excuse. I, did, I wasn't going to call out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I hope it's at least a different sickness. Uh, but all right, man. Uh, just a reminder to everyone, if you want to be part of the community's take, or if you want to just chit-chat with us about what we talked about throughout the episode, follow us on Twitter over at Triangle SQRD. You can find us, like I said, on Facebook in a group called Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. Find us in the Discord, always linked in the description below, be it on YouTube and video format or whatever podcast service you are using. If you are using a podcast service that has a, uh, a rating system, consider giving us a rating and a review. really helps people know whether or not the show is worth our time or not or worth their time or not, and it helps us know what you do and don't like about the show. Lastly, for all you wonderful people like our newest patron, uh, which I think I have up and apparently I thing that out but if i remember is alex let me pull that back up um but yes we have a new patron this week alex and uh, if you want to join them and become one of our patrons for as little as a dollar per month then head over to patreon.com slash nartech hopefully you won't regret it we like to think that the, the show is is value uh so if you feel the same way and you feel so inclined we appreciate everyone who does so. So without further ado, we want to give a huge shout out to Alex, Barry Rogers, Stingray X, It's a Sin to Win, a.k.a. Sean, Aztec King, Lichion69, The Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Christopher, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, 
Donovan Williams, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Santarude, Steven Salazar, and Shadowist. Thanks to each and every one of you. We hope you have a good one.